aren't you just so glad that we can worship today when someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but today is our day. So as we enter into this next song, just raise your hands and let's worship the lion and the lamb.
he says that you are chosen and you're not forsaken, that you are his. You are never alone. You're not stuck where you are. There's hope and there's a promise for you.
turned around, one around next to you, and I've never said this before, but if you want to air high five somebody, if you want to elbow bump them from across the room, wave at somebody you haven't seen in a while and tell them good morning. Welcome to English in a Minute. You would think that an elephant would be easy to see, but that is not the case with this idiom. Elephant in the room. I really don't want to go to the meeting today. Why? Just sit there and nod your head like I do. But nobody is willing to talk about the elephant in the room. What elephant? The fact that our company has no money, broke, Oh, that elephant in the room. Yeah, don't bring that up. Nobody wants to talk about that. An elephant in the room is a problem that everyone knows about but does not want to talk about. It also refers to a truth everyone knows but ignores. A problem shouldn't be ignored. And neither should an elephant in the room with you. And that's English in a Minute. Next week, we will have fun with flags. <laughs> See if anyone recognizes that. Yeah, I got a few. Got it. Great. Um, this is a different morning for me, and so I need to set this up a little bit and explain the video. Uh, your outlines that you've uh, received either online or uh, version or wherever will do you no good this morning. That's what I intended to preach on Saturday morning and had everything ready to go, so I don't want you to think that um, I, I just randomly grabbed something, but I felt like while I was um, praying Saturday for this service, one of those few times uh, in my life where, where God just lifted his blessing off of that message and said to me, <laughs> uh, there's an elephant in the room and you need to address it. We can't just keep having church as usual, even though this isn't normal. How many know this isn't normal? But just preaching about discipleship and growth and not somewhere along the lines address the elephant in the room and do it openly and clearly. I, I'm taking a pause from Ezra, and I don't like to do that. I don't like to veer away from the text. And uh, the title of the message is The Beginning of Sorrows. I don't like to preach on end time events based on current events because that always fails. I heard a man say once that he'd picked the Antichrist three times and he quit doing that because all three of them got killed. So I don't base it on current events. I preach and teach principles so that we can watch and be ready. But I do believe the elephant in the room, and this is what I want to address this morning, just really carefully and clearly, is I believe that the church is weakening itself in its response to COVID-19. We're allowing the church to be reshaped and weakened and losing our calling. And I want to address that this morning and remind you of who we are, what we believe, and what the trajectory of the church ought to be in spite of whatever is happening in the culture around us. And I felt like God dropped that in my heart. And the reason that you don't have 
outlines as I finished that up last night. And I didn't feel like it was fair to everyone else to say, now that I've changed direction, uh, now all of you need to get to work. I didn't think that was fair, so I didn't do that. And you say, well, couldn't God have spoken to you on Thursday? He certainly could have, but he didn't. Uh, because he wanted me to stand up here and tell you that I have no idea what I'm doing today. So that's just kind of how that goes. Um, I also want you to know on the front end that, we're, that I'm not in any way diminishing the danger of the culture that we're in. Uh, Pastor Nathan isn't here today. Why? Because he became symptomatic, had um, a little bit of a fever, runny nose, a little bit of a sore throat, and we're not gonna. We're gonna try to be wise and prudent and do the right things, and ask. We're gonna do what we've asked you to do. So pray for the Thomases that God will work healing in their family. I think we still believe in that, don't we? Amen. I think we still believe in that. All kinds of things are being said. It's a great government conspiracy. Some will do anything to win the election. Could it be? Could be, but what are you going to do about it? Doesn't change a thing. Let's suppose that there is a, black, a dark council somewhere that is planning all of this evil. You and I are not going to change that, nor does it change our calling. It just puts us in a place where we respond inappropriately. Shutting ourselves up to divide the church, or we are setting ourselves up to divide the church or bring oppression on ourselves. And I'll show you that in a little bit. Our reaction isn't bringing us to a place of unity. It's dividing the church more than it's ever been divided in my experience in ministry. And when that doesn't happen, we're also doing foolish things to set ourselves up to bring oppression on us. And that's the tension that we're living in. There are all kinds of Videos flying around right now, all kinds of things being said, and I think we've got to focus our trajectory on who we are and what God has called us to do. We're setting some unhealthy precedents. We need to use wisdom to do what gives us peace. I believe that. But I'm going to tell you a couple things right now. I understand, please, this is not a rebuke, I understand that there are wisdom choices keeping some people at home. But I will also tell you, the longer that you go to church in your living room in a bathrobe, the easier it will be to keep going to church in your living room in a bathrobe and lose authenticity and community because the church never was intended to be a place that we gather together to watch the sermon, but that we gather together to be accountable and in community and do the work he's called us to do. And I don't like what I'm seeing happen to the church as a whole across the spectrum of the United States. 32% of practicing Christians have stopped attending church online or in person during the pandemic. A third have stopped attending, either online or in person. That's not healthy, and that is going to shape the church for the future, and we need to make sure that doesn't happen. 18% are practicing of practicing Christians are viewing worship services from multiple churches throughout the month. Now, I don't have any problem. I do that. Watch other churches, but here's the problem. If you just bounce around all the time, you lose identity and accountability and trajectory and community, and there has to be a sense that we are engaged with one another, even in the strangeness of the times that we live in. 
So are we in the end times? Yes. Yes, we are. We've been in the end times since Acts chapter 2. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel was Peter's first message. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That began in Acts chapter 2 and has continued to this day. So when people say, are we in the end times? We've been in the end times for about 2,000 years. And you need to watch against prophetic revelations that drive us away from our calling today. The book of Acts calls us to the propagation of the gospel, not self-preservation of the believer. And so when the thrust of revelations is gather up gold and silver. Do you know how silly it is right now for you to gather up gold and silver and say that that's going to protect you and get you through? Gold and silver's value is based on an economic standard. And if you rip away that economic standard and the government makes possession of gold and silver illegal, you're in the same place that you were. We can't beat the system. But we can serve the Savior. Are you hearing me this morning? We can serve the Savior. Pastor was telling that his son was concerned, like a lot of people looking at the news today, when his son saw ransacked grocery stores, canceled sports seasons, eerie lines of people standing six foot apart from one another. So he asked his dad, is this the end of the world? And I think a lot of people are asking that today. But we also need a perspective. When you look at the number of deaths in the world today, the number of deaths by whatever standard you measure by, and please don't tell me after this service is over that I don't have the right numbers and you have the right ones. Frankly, I don't care. Because I don't know what the right numbers are and nobody does. And do I expect that people are telling the truth? No. And when you tell me that that there's only been seven deaths in Taiwan, and that may be true, but I don't know. You have to trust the Taiwanese government. How many are hearing what I'm saying this morning? I'm going to say that a million times. I need you to walk with me. Is this the end of the world? Listen to this. The Spanish flu killed 100, 100 million people from 1918 to 1920. Don't you think they probably thought they were seeing the end of the world? We're not dealing with 100 million right now. We're dealing with less than 1 million deaths. Is that tragic? Yes. Is one too many? Yes. But let's get some perspective and not be stupid and let's work with wisdom. But let's understand we were never called by God to respond to a pandemic by crawling into a cave, getting ammunition, and shooting the enemy. And that's what I'm hearing churches begin to advocate, so-called apostles and prophets. And I'm going to tell you one more thing that just irritated me this week. Are you sensing a little irritation? What in the world has happened to the church when a group of so-called apostles stand on a platform and use Gandalf's uh, staff? How many of you know who Gandalf is? Shame. No, I'm kidding. I know who Gandalf is. Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. And there's a scene where he drives back the demons 
by taking the staff and hitting the ground and saying, you shall not pass. And I watched a church service where based on Gandalf, a wizard, they held up the staff and hit the floor and demanded the demons go back. Listen, I'm not part of that crowd. The Bible told me that I can resist the devil and he will flee from me. And the source of my understanding isn't Gandalf. We're being shaped in a way that's going to change the culture for the future and give us an appetite for false prophets and the Antichrist, and the church will be diminished in a time when we have faced bigger challenges, but we've never responded so unbiblically. We've got to reclaim who we are. I want to talk to you about a period of time, just for a moment, that the Bible calls the beginning of sorrows. I've spent probably over the years of ministry, not exaggerating, hundreds of hours studying prophecy. And I'm going to tell you what happens. The more I study it, the less sure I am of the prophecy charts. I'm convinced that the first order of business at the marriage supper of the Lamb will be that Jesus will have all the prophecy experts stand up, put all of their charts on the big banquet wall, and then say, see, you were all wrong. That's just my little fantasy because we're not to study and predict we're to watch and be ready and we focus on the big rocks as we should Jesus changed all of human history when he came to earth and died on the cross following that we have the church age that's been about 2,000 years long the church age will end with the rapture of the church that will be followed by a time called the great tribulation where the, where the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place and the judgment seat of Christ. Then Jesus will return in the second advent, set his foot on the Mount of Olives that will cleave east from the west, put to end the reign of the Antichrist and the devil, establish a millennial kingdom that will continue on the earth for a thousand years. It will end with another great battle and after that will be the destruction of the earth as we know it and replaced by a new heaven and new earth wherein will dwell righteousness. Those are the big rocks that most evangelicals believe in. But there's a period of time that we don't talk about and it dis- it's deceiving us. Prior to the return of Christ in an unspecified period of time, there's what Jesus called the beginning of sorrows. Now here's another thing you have to understand when you... <laughs> When you study prophecy, Jesus was giving prophetic revelation to the Jews, not to the Americans. And we are arrogant in our belief that prophecy revolves around us and can be understood in the context of Washington, D.C. It cannot. It can only be understood in the context of Jerusalem and the people of God and his church that's alive in the world today. You have to understand, it's not about us, though we will be impacted by it. And so this period of beginning of sorrows are birth pangs that will precede the end of the age, and we should not be surprised nor troubled by it. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. I'm going to pause there and say that was a specific fulfilled prophecy about the temple. 
But in spiritual life, I feel like we're experiencing something similar today. That our giant edifices that were crammed with people waiting to get in are, are empty today. That the religious structure of evangelicalism as we have known it has been thrown down. And Hebrews tells us that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So only that which cannot be shaken will remain. And we need to wake up and recognize that. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? What did Jesus say? Watch out that you are not deceived. Many will come in my name with Gandalf's staff. Oh, no, that's not there. Sorry, I don't, I don't know how that got in there. Many will come in my name with visions and dreams. No, that's not there. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. What will be their message? I'm your leader. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you should follow and the time is near. When you hear of, do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. I'm going to pause here because that's not Iraq against Afghanistan. That's the ethne. People group will rise against people group. That's different than the geographic political boundaries that we have established by the hand of man. He's saying that people groups, ethnicities, nationalities will be turned one against the other. There will be great earthquakes famines and pestilences or diseases in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons and you'll be brought before kings and governors on account of my name. Why would he allow that to happen? Why would he let that happen? This will result in your being witnesses to them. We're in a place where we have the opportunity in a time of trouble and terror to be witnesses of the grace and goodness and power of God. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand you, how you will defend yourselves. I believe that in these times of birth pangs, of the beginning of sorrows, that we shouldn't be surprised at trouble falling on the earth, but be ready to do what? Use every opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And I believe that the Bible teaches two things that are in tension. There will be a great revival of faith while there is at the same time a great falling away. What does that mean? That out of people far from God, Jesus will call many to himself, while those who have been in church and playing church and haven't been serious about their faith will begin to fall away. They will happen at the same time. A great apostasy will be accompanied by a great revival. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that great revival. So here are some principles that should center and stabilize our lives. And I'm talking about the elephant in the room, the COVID virus. 
This should stabilize our lives. I want to remind you of a few things. Number one, so you're going to have to write these down on your own. I don't have any fill-in-the-blanks for you. Peace is our character. Everybody say that with me. Peace is our character. Let's not forget that we have been given peace. Fear is from the devil. We live in a culture of fear and fear purveyors. There is a hidden enemy out there just waiting to sneak up and capture you. And I'm going to tell you personally, from where I live, I have dealt and battled under a demonic attack, fear and worry more than any time in my life because I don't want to make a mistake and see an outbreak of the coronavirus in our congregation. I don't want to bury someone because I was stupid or foolish. I don't be responsible for that. But the problem is there are no answers out there. They're giving you one answer here and another answer there. And when there's no clarity from leadership or from authority, the end result of that is chaos and fear. And fear is what's driving the church in many places in America today. And I'm not saying to you that we should change the rules or be more flippant. I'm simply saying you can't make right decisions from a platform of fear. That doesn't mean you should be riskier. Okay? I have a friend that on... <laughs> on the day before his wedding, his bachelor party in Kentucky, he went cliff diving. Now, he had done that many times. He did it dozens of times. His bridal party, the guys, the groomsmen also did it. What's the chances I'm going to do that? Right next to a snowball's chance in hell. That's how likely it is that I'm going to do it. I wanted to say something stronger than none. How many are hearing me right now? Sorry if that offended you, but that's how I feel right now. It's not happening. Now, dozens and dozens and dozens of people did it and were fine. But, you know, I read about a lady named Joni Erickson Tata, Johnny Erickson Tata, who cliff dived, broke her neck, and has been in a wheelchair ever since. So what does that mean? It means that we should not allow anyone to cliff dive because of her? No. It means that there's risk involved, and you need to evaluate the risk, not from a platform of fear, but from a platform of faith and truth. And anyone who cliff dives is insane anyway, so I'm not even talking about you. You can't make decisions. Are you hearing me? I'm not saying the decision will be different. But when fear drives us, we can't be faith-driven. The Bible says, I will trust in the Lord and not be afraid. But before that, it says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. And there's this attitude of fear that, that where do you see that? And again, I'll tell you where you see it. People driving in their car alone, wearing their mask. And then you read, mask will protect you. No, it won't. Mask will protect them. No, it won't. This will protect you. No, it won't. Yes, it will. This may have died. What's the result of that? There is a spirit of fear loose in the land, and we can't allow ourselves to be driven by that. Now, understand, I'm not afraid. Listen, I'm not afraid that a semi is going to run over me. Why? Because I'm not laying down in the middle of the highway. Okay? I'm not talking about making stupid choices. I'm talking about not being motivated by fear. Because I could sit in my office and say, I can't drive my car. I might get hit by a semi. I'm saying to you there's a spirit of fear which will mark the And fear has torment. We are not people of fear. Come on. 
We are not people of fear. We don't need to live by fear and walk by fear. And the truth of the matter is, whatever stats they give you, when our son uh, was diagnosed with cancer, I think they told us he had a 40% chance of surviving. Do you know what that 40% chance meant? Nothing when you're at the funeral. Things are going to happen, people are going to die, but we're still people of peace. Are you hearing me? We can't live our lives afraid. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Because if I can make you afraid over this issue, you're going to react out of fear in another issue inappropriately. And you're seeing that happen all over the place. People are reacting inappropriately in unrelated environments because they're being motivated by fear. I was um, walking down. i got to watch the time. This is a series I'm preaching this morning. I was walking down the drive aisle parking lot at Walmart, having no desire to punch anybody. A little irritated with the way people drive. And I'm walking along, and this car is pulling up alongside me. And I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not giving another thought. Okay? It gets even with me. And I hear, hey! I want to punch somebody right now. Fear was causing me to react in a way that I wasn't feeling. And it was someone from our church. being a dork and effectively saw me jump off the ground. Okay? Fear causes you to make choices in unrelated areas because you're living in that environment and we are people of peace. Live or die, my life is his. Come on. We're people of peace. His peace is a fruit of the Spirit and should rule our lives. It passes all understanding. At a time when the disciples didn't understand what was going on, Jesus gave them peace. All right, number two. Joy is our strength. Joy is our strength. I read something this morning that I found pretty, um, pretty fascinating. And I just got a text here. It's National Pecan Pie Day. Thank you very much. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? Um, <laughs> it is. That's what I thought too. Every day is. Um, do you remember the song "Happy" by Fer- Pharrell Williams? Do you remember "Happy"? Anybody remember that goofy little song? Got in 2014. "Happy" spent 10 weeks at the number one spot, and this person said, "Could you imagine if "Happy" were released today?" He would get three streams and a cease and desist letter from the government. Because you can't be happy right now. I mean, how in the world can we be happy when we aren't sure we can get toilet paper? Oh, I'm so tempted to say some things, so my wife will say, you didn't need to go there. Sadness marks our landscape. We're afraid to celebrate. We're afraid to be happy. We feel guilty to be happy. And last week when I talked about the power of joy, I told my wife afterwards, I felt like 
it wasn't getting any traction at all because it felt like our reaction corporately was, yes, we're supposed to be that, but that's for another day. He gives joy in the midst of our storm. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy does come in the morning, and we owe it to this world to be supernaturally joyful, to smile, to be happy, to enjoy life and not live in this sorrowful state. We have supernatural joy. Without joy, we've lost our strength. Without joy, we're Samson with his haircut. We've lost our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And some of you need to get happy. You need to experience the joy of the Lord. Well, how can I? I can't even sit where I want in church. There's no coffee in church. Six foot away from people. and <laughs> Try to go down the wrong way down the aisle at Hy-Vee and see what happens. I don't, by the way, because I'm a rule keeper. I don't do that, but... It's like you feel guilty to be joyful. We need to celebrate our faith. We need to celebrate our faith. It's okay to have fun. We need to have fun. <laughs> Pastor, you're an idiot. Uh, then leave me alone. Because I don't want to be sane like you. Anybody hearing me right now? This is serious. I know it is. But I'm going to maintain, I'm going to do my best to maintain the joy of the Lord in spite of demonic attacks. Third, healing is our inheritance. Did we forget we're Pentecostals? Did we forget that by his stripes we are healed? It's as though COVID is striking more fear in the hearts of people today than HIV did when it hit the scene. We're afraid it's going to jump out of the darkness and get us. And if it does, it is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit against healing. It's almost as though the, that God can't overcome that. Do you know what the Bible tells us? It says in... Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Peter repeats that. Who himself bore our sins in his own body and tree, that we, having died, might live to righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. The information that we're getting, even in the medical field, seems uncertain and contradictory. I had a, a, a nobody's business, but I want to use the illustration. <laughs> I had a video conference doctor's appointment this week just to talk about some things, and it was about five minutes long. I never, that was really, I really enjoyed that. I'd rather be in my office than their office anyway. But at the end of this little uh, discussion, the uh, PA said, is there anything else we need to talk about? And I said, I'd love to pick your brain about the coronavirus. And she said, how much time do you have? I thought, well, uh, it's your time I'm worried about, not mine. I got plenty of time. And here's what troubled me. We talked about, you know, everybody should, they're, they're, they're about ready to shoot people that don't wear masks. You know, I mean, it's like chaos. And I said, um, 
what are you hearing about a vaccine? And she said, the medical field knows no more about a vaccine than you do. All we know is what we see on the news and social media, just like you. That's who we're trusting? Now, I want to talk to you for a moment about divine healing because there are no absolutes. And people who believe that everybody will be healed all the time and no Christian should ever be sick, and if you're sick, it's because there's sin in your life, anyone who teaches that is a biblical moron. Not just illiterate, they're a moron. Is that making sense to you? How many understands the word moron? Okay. It's not, <laughs> it's not that simple, and it's hurtful and damaging to teach that. I can give you stories of supernatural miracles in our family that could only be explained by divine healing, but I also have to tell you about standing at a grave and burying my son. I don't have the answer to that, but here's what I do know. Doctors are not the final answer. Jesus is. And as long as there's breath, there's hope. And I'm going to keep asking for healing as long as someone is alive. And I've been around too long to tell you he doesn't heal today. He does. I've seen it again and again and again. And I've been praying for people that have been exposed. I've been praying in my devotional time for our church, praying for all of you and praying in the spirit because I believe that healing is still our inheritance and we can ask for divine healing and he will provide that. And that's what we ought to rest on. And I'm going to tell you that if he says, no, I want to take them home, I need to be okay with that. I did pray once for a lady to die at her request in the hospital. I'm sure the nurse that walked by wondered why they let me in. She was in her 90s. I said, I'm going to pray for God to heal you. And she said, don't you dare. I've been here long enough. I don't know why he's leaving me here. I said, what do you want me to pray? I want you to pray that he comes gets me soon. I'm tired of waiting. So I laid hands on her and said, God, take her home. If she had died right at that spot, I'd have had a coronary. They'd have buried us both. But fortunately, about three days later, while I was gone, she passed. Today, I'd get sued, but that's a different story. I'm saying our goal is to get to the other side. And I'm not planning to today, and I don't want to today. Do you know one of the, this is going to sound really silly, but one of the great turmoil, fear moments of my life was the night before I turned 20 years old. And you have to understand, I was excited about getting older. I've, until recently, it's never bothered me to get older. Uh, because when I was 18, people thought I was 12. Uh, I've always looked younger uh, until recently. No comments, please. I don't need to hear your sarcasm. <laughs> I always look forward to that. But I'm at Bible college, and it's the night before my 20th birthday, and I can't sleep. There is terror. There's this fear grabbing hold of me. There's, there's a voice telling me, if you go to sleep tonight, you're going to die. Why? Because all of my growing up years, my mother would say to me, you're not going to live to be 20. Now, I think it has something to do with the choices I was making, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And she was trying to rein me in, and I never gave it a thought. But you know who else heard all that? The devil heard that. Yeah. And on the night of my 19th, last day 19, I almost stayed awake all night because I was afraid if I closed my eyes, I was going to die. And you know what changed that? I finally said, Jesus, I'm yours. And if you want me tonight, I'm yours. I'd like to wake up in the morning and be yours. 
but I need your peace. And he gave me peace because I trust him with the authority over my life. And if he wants me to live, I can stare a demonic virus in the face. And if he wants me to come home, perfect health won't keep me here. Now, that doesn't mean that I think that you should drive 150 miles down the highway on a motorcycle on one wheel. That's dumb, and he may take you home so you don't hurt anybody. That's a whole different story. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that's an absolute. I'm saying to you that divine healing is our inheritance, and that's where we ought to go first. That's where we ought to run to first. Before anything else, before Tylenol, before Advil, Advil, before any of the other things, we ought to run there first and say, Jesus, you are the source of my supply. And we as Pentecostals still believe in divine healing. Does anybody still believe in that? Does, does he always do it our way? No, but I'll tell you what. That old Southern Gospel song is true when it said, I didn't see one cripple on Hallelujah Square. You know how I know divine healing is true? Because when you get to heaven, we'll all be restored. And if you didn't know it, <laughs> you're dying right now. You were born on a pathway to die. And Jesus is where the focus of our life should come from. Amen. Let's, I wish Christians put as much faith in the power of Jesus to heal as they put in the power of COVID to kill. Amen. I'm talking about who we are. Let's grab hold of faith again. Number four, revival is our passion. Revival is our passion. Opportunities for lukewarmness are all around. It is easier to stay away from church than it's ever been. And drifting, according to Hebrews, drifting from community reduces spiritual health. It's more work today to stay engaged than ever. And this isn't about numbers. It's not about more people in church. And it's not even about being in the same building. It's about being engaged with the body of believers. And it's easier now than it's ever been to withdraw from that. And Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that when we draw, withdraw from the assembling together that you put yourself in spiritual danger. What is our passion? It's the power of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me talk to you for a moment about the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, through the prophets, as Peter preached, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. And I'm going to talk just a minute. We are Pentecostal. Do you know what that means? It means that we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and with that comes the gift of speaking in other tongues. And we're living in an hour when you're going to need that more than you've ever needed it. It's no longer a cute little ornament on the Christmas tree. It is the essential power of prayer. Why is that so important? Because here's what praying in tongues does. It bypasses your intellect and you pray the will of God. Who knows the mind of God but the spirit of God. When you pray in another language, you are praying the will of God. When you pray in another language, here's what happens. It edifies you. It builds you up. When you pray in the spirit of God, you speak mysteries. And there are times when I don't know how to pray that I just begin to pray in the spirit. You say, you're going to lay hands on us? No, I believe in that. I've done that. I've seen that happen multiple times. But I've also dealt with a number of credential candidates. It's been really exciting through the Iowa School of Ministry. And I'm going to tell you what I've told them. That the best way, I think, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to get it wholesale. 
for you to go directly to Jesus and ask for him to fill you with the Spirit. So there are a couple of things that you need to know. Why is this speaking in tongues so important? Because it releases in you. It bypasses your understanding and isn't limited to your intellect. Why is that so important? Because of the supernatural power that flows through that. I believe a day is coming where you're going to need to pray in tongues every day. I do every day. You need to every day. And if you don't have that gift, he wants it for you. And you say, well, I don't think it's for everybody. Then you're telling me that God has good gifts for me that he doesn't want you to have, doesn't want you to build yourself up, doesn't want you to pray in the will of God, doesn't want you to pray with power. That's ridiculous. It's available to everybody. But here's the biggest stumbling block. We're not worshipers. A worshiper is not a singer. A worshiper is someone who knows how to enter into his presence. Knows how to enter into his presence. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues? Then develop a heart of a worshiper. Whatever, whatever music you like, wherever you pray, get alone somewhere, your closet of prayer, and stay there seeking him, calling on him until he touches you. You need to know what it is to pray till you cry. You need to know what it is to pray till you laugh. You need to stay in his presence until you feel like your body's on fire. Do you believe all that's real? Oh, I, I, I would die in a week if I didn't have that. What salvaged me during the time of our son's passing was that every Saturday night, I'm going to brief story, some of you have heard it before, but we were back and forth and back and forth to Iowa City. I would walk into the church on Saturday night, and I'd say, God, the best thing you can do for me right now with my son in bone marrow unit, the best thing you can do right now is that nobody come to church tomorrow. Because if anybody comes where I'm right now, I'll hurt them, and I really don't care, and I don't want your help, and I don't want a word from you, but I'm going to make a choice to get there even though I don't want to get there. Has anybody lived in that world? And I'm going to tell you that every... I'm going to tell you that every Saturday night when I made that confession of my weakness and I began to pray in tongues every Saturday night for three months he met me and lifted my burden and gave me a fresh word so that I could feed that congregation and be a blessing to them because it's not by might nor by power nor by intellect nor by gifting but by my spirit says the Lord and that's what we need today. So then what happens? You have to speak. If you're going to speak in tongues, you have to speak. If you just open your mouth, nothing's going to happen. He'll give the utterance, you give the voice. I have four credential candidates that wanted to be credentialed with us. I walked them through that, get alone, stay there. And I know this sounds silly, and you may check, but try it. You say, well, what have I tried? And it's, it's not me. It better be you. It better not be Larry. <laughs> and you'll know whether God's in, but if you're worshiping, and you begin to speak that out, all of a sudden the dam breaks and you're in a whole new place. It's that simple. It's that simple. You can experience that if you want that. And we're living in a time that we need spirit-filled believers who are praying in the Holy Ghost, tearing down strongholds, and doing the work of the kingdom because our passion is for revival. And our calling is to reach the lost, not to preserve ourselves. And there's... Um, there's revelations going around right now. And listen, I'm going to tell you one way to discern a revelation, whether it's from God or not. If you get a dream or revelation that tells you to store up food, ammunition, guns, and protect yourself from what's coming, that's not a word from God. Now, I do believe in protecting yourselves. I, I'm a supporter of concealed carry I'm, uh, or, or even open carry today. I'm, I'm a, I believe in having provisions for the future. 
and 30 days or 90 days or 120 days, whatever you want to do, but sometime that's going to run out. And Jesus said, when you look at the future, make sure you have provision. That's not what he said. He said, take no thought of the morrow, for the morrow will take care of itself. Sufficient of the day is the evil thereof. And he said, I take care of the lilies. I clothe uh, the lilies. I feed the sparrows. Not one of them falls to the ground without my knowing. Not one hair will fall from your head. And these revelations that are popping up all over the place today are not biblically sound. They don't match the direction that Jesus gave. And I'm not telling you not to prepare. That makes sense. But I'm telling you that your preparation will run out, but Jesus' provision never will. And the heart of the believer, when seeing hard times coming, shouldn't be self-preservation. It ought to be evangelism. Let's reach the lost before it's too late. Let's tell them about Jesus and let's intercede. Because I read about God revealing to a man named Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God and Abraham didn't say, how do I get out of this? What did he do? He began to intercede for the city. If there's this many, we spare the city. That's the heart of the friend of God. Spare my land. Spare our people. Help me reach more of them for the kingdom. Because revival is our passion. Is there anyone in the house right now? Revival is our passion. We need spirit-filled people that want to reach the lost. And last... Unity is our calling. Division is tearing at the fabric of our nation. Mask or no mask. I never thought I'd see believers fight over something that silly. Now, I'm not saying the issue is silly. Fighting over it is silly. You can see we're not requiring that, but we provide them. And I want you to feel totally comfortable here wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. It ought to be your personal conviction, and I will affirm you in that. And if anyone either pushes you one way or the other, I would be glad to have a conversation with them because we're not dividing over that. Come to church or stay home. Racial tensions. You want to watch something? Just... You, you would think I just shot someone in the head. We were, my wife can tell you for years, after I eat, I cough. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why. We're in a restaurant. I ate something. <coughs> she said, we got to get out of here right now. You can't do that in here. <laughs> Let me give you an example. I read an article this morning. I may not have the numbers exactly right, but I read an article that Marion, Iowa is one of the most um, racist communities in Iowa. Anybody ever been to Marion? Marion, don't make the mistake of calling Marion a, 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 um, a suburb of Cedar Rapids. It's a town of about 40,000. They're their own entity, even though they're a suburb of Cedar. I mean, they're not a suburb of Cedar Rapids. I grew up in Cedar Rapids. It is almost all white people. 3% of the population is ethnic. 3% is African-American. 9% of the rest are African-American. And since there's that disparity that the number of rests, arrests don't match the number, the percentage of people, which is a false dichotomy enemy anyway, because you're taking 3% of 40,000, but 9% of the number of people arrested, you see how that doesn't match? Let me show you the math. That's, it's, 
it's, it's, it's phony math. But even if you take that, that means that 91% of the rest are white people. 91%. And we're fighting. Now, a black person, Hispanic, Asian, is abused, talked bad about because of their skin color. God forgive you for that. That is a sin. That is a sin. Because he died for all the people groups. But we're so divided today that I have walked up. You walk up to someone of a different skin color and I have an assumption that they hate me because I'm white and I have white privilege and they don't want to talk to me. And we're more divided today following the Civil War, following the Civil Rights Movement, following the progress that's been made in the United States. We're more divided over racially, racial lines in the church and outside the church than we have ever been. And church, I have to remind you that unity is what we have been called to. And now's the time for us to rise above that and build bridges across those lines and say... And I, and I was told I couldn't even say this because I'm a white person. But I didn't grow up with, really did not grow up with racism in our home at all. I didn't understand you look at people differently because of their skin color until I began to experience that in, in college, really. It wasn't part of the fabric of who I was. And people say, well, you're lying. That's not true. You're a white person in America. I don't hate people because of skin color. I never have. I've just seen skin color is the same as the difference in eye color or hair color. They're not things to be divided over, but it's infecting. Are you hearing me? It's infecting the culture and the church, and we're more racially divided right now than we have ever been in our history, and we've been called to unity. And I'll say this. I didn't plan to say this, but I'm going to say this to white people. We're called to unity. I'll say this to African Americans. We're called to unity. If you're washed in the same blood that I'm washed in, we're brothers, we're sisters, and you are responsible to create a unity between you and I as much as I'm responsible to create a unity between myself and you. Whether you're Asian, Latino, African American, whatever ethnic spectrum you come from, it is our job together to drive ourselves toward a unified body of believers where skin color doesn't matter, ethnicity doesn't matter, we're all children of Jesus, of, of God and brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus prayed in John 17 that they would be one. And here's what Ephesians says. He himself is our peace. How many of you, do you remember singing that song? He is my peace who has broken down every wall. I'm trying to end. I really am. So as long as you know I know that, you can relax. He destroyed. What does that mean? It's not peace from pain and worry and fear. It's, it's racial peace. He destroyed the barrier dividing the wall of hostility and so he made one new man out of two. Out of what? Jew and Gentile. Ethnic division becomes one at the cross of Christ. It's time for the church to stand up and model that and communicate that. So in the midst of coronavirus, we are still Christ followers. And I don't know what you need this morning, but in a moment I'm going to have a stand and ask Jesus for what you need. I believe this is a time, and I believe it was ordained by God, and I believe that he spoke it to my heart, that this is a time for an in-course correction for Berean. Do you need peace? Do you need joy? Do you need a recommitment to healing? Do you need the passion for revival? Do you need a heart for unity? God forgive you 
if you look at someone of a different skin tone and think badly about them. God forgive you. Repent of that. And let's live contrary to that. So if you need one of those five, I'm going to read them again. I want you to stand up and say, Jesus, I need in-course correction. If you're living in a place of fear and you need peace, place of depression and you need joy, place where there needs to be a reviving of trust and divine healing in your life, the supernatural, a passion for revival or a call to unity. If you need any one of those five, I want you right now to stand. just want you to stand up. Jesus, I need you to do that in my life. I need an in-course correction, and let's let the church be the church. We'll rise from the rubble if we let the church be the church. All right, everyone in the house, if you would stand, and could we right now just ask Jesus to be Lord again? Let's just ask him again to be Lord again of our lives, of our ministry, of our church, of who we are. Jesus, be Lord again. chains and every knee will bow before the Lamb. 